we are going to start to talk about one of our favorite subjects, transportation. I know we don't have any opinions on that subject. <laughs> Hopefully we will get a bunch of questions. About 25 years ago, uh, Pat Beatty came to me and said, maybe you'd like to get involved in transportation. And uh, Pat Beatty was not the type of person you could say no to, just ask Eric. And um, so I got involved in it. I walked in the front door not knowing anything. 25 years later, worked on paratransit, bus, rail, systems. Got involved with environmental access issues, pedestrian issues, leading pedestrian intervals, e-scooters, bus stops, accessible bus stops, and all that kind of stuff. All to say, we've got a lot of great advocates out here. Transportation is very interesting and challenging. Just walk in that front door, get involved in the committees, because it's worthwhile, it's where we live, and it's what we do. Um, the Transportation Committee, Environmental Access Committee, over the summer at our convention, will be giving a three-day forum in which we are going to be looking at those kinds of issues that I just mentioned. I don't think we'll be able to solve all the problems, but I, we're going to work on them. And we're going to come up with strategies that we want to help you guys take it back to your states and areas and solve some of your problems. Uh, Dan Spoon did a good job when he um, asked Becky Davidson for environmental access and Sheila Styron from transportation to head those committees. As we note, both capable, smart women. Nice job, Dan. Uh, they're working with Ron Brooks, and I think we're going to have a great program. So to kick off transportation today, um, I have uh, four panelists. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. And the first question I want to ask them, introduce yourselves, please, and let me know what area of transportation you're involved in. Great, thank you everyone, uh, and good afternoon. My name is Malcolm Glenn, and I lead policy for accessibility and underserved communities at Uber, based here in Washington, DC. Um, I think people, at this point, I think when I was coming here maybe a, a number of years ago, I was introducing what Uber is, but I think we're probably at the point where people know what Uber is, is I think that's right. So I won't get into the basics of, of, of what Uber does, but I could talk a little bit about some stuff that might be relevant. Uh, to this crowd. Um, in my job, I do really two things. I spend a lot of time in conversations like these, working with advocates and people from not just around the country, but actually around the world who have a vested interest in us improving the accessibility of our platform. So both telling the stories of the work that we're doing, but also really listening to your feedback, taking uh, to heart the things where we're doing well and where we need to be doing better. And the second part of that job, which I would actually argue is the most important, is really translating and communicating that feedback to people internally. So making sure that our engineers and our design teams and our operations teams really understand and it is impressed upon them why making sufficient um, investment in and um, focus on these issues is really, really good for the platform and for the users of our platform all around the world. Um, Uber's nine years old. Um, I think most people are probably familiar with the Rides product first and foremost, um, but we also do things like Uber Eats, um, which <laughs> someone, is, someone is appreciative of, which is good to hear. Um, and increasingly, other things like, there you, there you go, someone's, there's some Uber Eats fans in the, in the crowd, which is always good to hear. But also things like, you know, folks, uh, as Pat mentioned, uh, e-bikes and scooters, but increasingly starting to get involved in other areas like, you know, what if when you open up the Uber app, you can get access to public transit information in the place where you live? So maybe Uber is the right option for you at the time, but maybe public transit is the right option for you at the time. Uh, so... Um, we're doing, a, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years, I've been at this convening as well as the summer conference, talking about um, the various ways in which uh, we can help you and you can help us. And so um, I look forward to continuing that conversation today, talking specifically about some of the features that we've been working on 
that are relevant to the blind and uh, visually impaired community. So I'll stop there, pass it on to Heidi. Thank you. I'm Heidi Simon. I'm the Deputy Director at America Walks, and we are a national nonprofit that looks at helping people drive. Um, no. We, <laughs> we look, it's, it's as simple as our name says, um, we look at supporting efforts to create safe, accessible, equitable, and enjoyable places to walk and move, whether that's for transportation, recreation, uh, physical health and mental well-being, whatever the reason is, we want people to be able to be in their communities moving safely and accessibly um, and working with uh, Claire and her team to really challenge that and find ways for all of us to be working together to create the communities um, where walking is not just the, the first and last mile option, but hopefully an option um, across the board. Uh, we do that in a variety of ways. You'll see our programming at the local and state level between funding community change grants, uh, advocacy and training, technical assistance, um, and then at the national level doing things like this. Uh, doing outreach and speaking to try and build our network and our movement of walkable community change agents, uh, as well as representing um, walking and other forms of alternative transportation at the federal level. Uh, so having great conversations with ACB over the past uh, several years about ways that we can partner and ally better um, in those efforts. Uh, and look to be more representative of the communities that we hope to create. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Eric Danko, and I lead federal affairs for Cruise. We're a self-driving vehicle company based in San Francisco uh, with partnership. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was for Cruise, for self-driving vehicles, or for San Francisco. <laughs> take it. But I will take applause at any time. <laughs> uh, and just a quick note of thanks to Claire and Clark, Pat. Uh, I see Eric over there. Uh, our partnership with ACB has been running now for a, a good number of years. Uh, we fundamentally see a challenge in transportation and think the status quo is fundamentally broken. Uh, our roads are unsafe. Uh, I think Heidi's going to talk a lot about that. Uh, they, are, they are polluted. We have unsafe streets. Uh, we have polluting cars. We have an inaccessible transportation system. And we fundamentally believe that shared electric autonomous vehicles, uh, offered in a ride-sharing model at first, are really can be a core uh, benefit, uh, not only to this community, but to the country, to the world at large. Uh, we see it in terms of saving lives, providing more convenience, more accessibility options. Uh, and that really infuses our product as we are developing it. Uh, I mentioned a second ago, and I'm sure we'll get into this into the conversation, uh, ACB has really been a very long-term partner for us. In fact, our first user experience research initiative was done with the blind and low vision community, uh, and really with ACB as a, as a very core partner to help us understand what the existing barriers are to transportation uh, from a, a blind and low vision perspective and how self-driving vehicles can really provide a solution uh, within the broader transportation ecosystem. And it's a partnership we're very proud of and one we're very excited to carry forward. Great, hello everybody. I think you know who I am. Um, this is Claire from the National Office in uh, Alexandria. Um, I'm on this panel because transportation's become one of my big um, responsibilities through the national office. So if you have a transportation issue, please reach out to me. So what areas of transportation do I work on? Everything. So I've been really fortunate to do things like uh, work on some legislation for autonomous vehicles that I'll be talking about a little bit later in another presentation. I go to the Amtrak meetings. Very fun. Um, I've... <laughs> You can laugh at that, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> um, I've helped work on different projects with all kinds of different auto industries. I've gone to the Auto Alliance meeting to talk about different issues. So you name it, I've been able to work on the Transportation ta uh, Committee as well as the EAC Committee and be able to be the staff liaison and talk about these issues. So I'm sitting on this panel because everything that the other panelists talk about are things that are important to us in the national office and we want to work on. I um, mean, if it's not brought up by the other three, 
it's not brought up by the other three panelists, but is still a transportation need that you guys want to talk about, bring it to us at the national office. Stop me today or tomorrow and let us know because as somebody who is blind myself, I understand that transportation really is one of the biggest, if not the biggest obstacles we face. Thank you, Claire. And I think that's important because we need to have the information out there, accurate information, coordinated approach, and make, make uh, you know, the points that we're making consistent all the way through the organization. My next question for the panel has to do with specifically, and I think they started to answer this, but I'll ask them to go into greater depth. Um, talk to me about the systems organizations that you work with, and specifically for blind and visually impaired individuals. What is being done within your organization to promote the, uh, the access issues, needs of the blind population? This is Malcolm speaking. Uh, thank you for the question, Pat. Um, you know, I want to actually just give a quick shout out to Claire because um, we've worked with uh, ACB for a number of years now and have had some really amazing engagement. And one of the things that we've been doing uh, the last number of years is putting together a sort of cross-disability conversation around all different parts of our platform and how we can make it better. And uh, one of my colleagues always says in those meetings, uh, Claire is the very best project manager we could ever have because all of her ideas are things that uh, we, we, we recognize are super valuable contributions to thinking about how we can improve the experience for people who are blind or visually impaired. Um, and so as, we were as we've been talking, and actually Clark and, and Claire and I got on the phone a couple of weeks ago to talk about an issue that, that, a, that a user brought up in the world, um, I told them at the time, but I want to tell this room as well, so we're actually hiring a product manager to focus on, I think, a set of areas that are, I think are relevant to this group, which is accessibility and city infrastructure. So what we hear oftentimes is there are challenges with the app experience, uh, and that's one kind of bucket. But there are also challenges navigating to find your driver in the real world. So you're connected, it all works well, but then how do you actually communicate and facilitate you finding the right car, getting in the right place, and being on your way? And so there are a number of different areas that are involved in that, um, but we, have, we are actually bringing someone on board, and um, I can coordinate with some folks uh, in the national office to make sure that that job listing gets out to everyone here, because we would love recommendations for the types of people uh, who may have experience in, in product management, um, particularly people who may have experience um, navigating the world um, who are blind or low vision to, to throw their hat in the ring. So um, we'll be in touch more around that, but I think that's a really exciting opportunity to combine two areas that I think have come up a lot in the conversations I've had with folks in this room. Anybody but Claire, right? <laughs> hey, no, I didn't say anyone but Claire. <laughs> Uh, that's fair. Yeah, we we'll, always, we'll always welcome Claire as an advisor, um, <laughs> even though she's, she's, she's an ACB person at heart. Um, so that's one thing we're working on. In addition to that, we're starting to build out a team of people focused on questions that are relevant to people in the, at the city level. Um, this project manager will sit on that team, but there will be a broader team that will start to really focus from our product perspective on accessibility. Um, what has historically happened that has sometimes been challenging is uh, folks will raise issues to me, and I will try to track down the right people internally, but it's not always clear who those people are. So we, there will be a dedicated team now <laughs> focused on the accessibility of all of our apps that will start to be able to really focus on making sure that we're mitigating issues before they actually take place. Um, there are a couple of new things that we haven't talked about in the past that I want to make sure this group knows about. So are there any folks here from Arizona? Just one. We'll... we'll not just talking to that one person, I'm not talking to everyone, but there might be specifically relevant to that one person. So one of the pieces of feedback that we've gotten over the years is uh, just around the uh, dexterity and the challenges that people have navigating the smartphone. Of course, there's the requirement that we have to make sure that that app is accessible, but even if it is accessible, sometimes it can be challenging to navigate on voiceover or talkback. And so as of about two weeks ago, we have introduced a pilot program starting in Arizona that allows you to request a ride via phone. And that means you don't have to actually navigate the, user, the Uber app at all. Oh, wow. And you don't even have to have the Uber app downloaded. So you can actually use any mobile phone. It doesn't even have to be a smartphone. It just has to be a mobile phone uh, that is able to accept SMS messages. And you call up an number. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a 1-800 number, but we have a 1-833 number. 1-833-USE-UBER. 
Um, you can dial it anywhere that Uber is offered in Arizona, and you're connected with a customer service agent. If you don't already have an Uber account, you can give your credit card information to that person over the phone. They request the ride for you, and you get information via SMS text message about where your driver is, what um, their name is, uh, and how far they are away, their ETA. Um, we've just started piloting it, um, and it's very, very early in the process, but early signs are very positive. And our suspicion is that if we continue to see positive traction on 1833 Use Uber in Arizona, it's something we're thinking about bringing nationwide. So we'll keep you all posted on that. I think there's really exciting opportunities for um, people who are blind or visually impaired who are more comfortable talking on the phone rather than using an app. But in conjunction with that, we're going to continue to invest in making sure that we're making the app accessible as well. One other thing I wanted to just briefly touch on was, which is I know a big issue that comes up regularly in these meetings and outside of these meetings is service animals. And so we have, exactly, we have uh, continued to work to try to improve uh, the, both the quality of and the frequency of our communications with drivers around their obligations surrounding service animals, in addition to making sure that we have very aggressive punitive action on the back end when drivers continue to uh, not accept drivers with service, riders with service animals. We recognize this is an ongoing issue, um, and I think things are getting better, but they're not where they need to be. And so one of the things that I'm starting to work on, and it's actually with um, uh, some folks who, uh, who may be uh, here in, for the legislative seminar, is figuring out how we can create even more robust materials around this uh, by people who are blind and low vision, so people who can give guidance on what re messages will resonate best and how to communicate them in a way that is most effective. That's something we want to continue to do both on the rider side and the driver side. Uh, so as those conversations uh, expand and go forward, um, I will absolutely look to ACB for their continued engagement because we recognize that this is still an issue and one we want to continue to improve upon. Um, there's, thank you. There's, there's lots more I could talk about, but for the sake of time, I'll stop here and again pass it on to Heidi. Thank you. Um, so obviously it shouldn't surprise anyone that for us walking is at the foundation of mobility independence and that if someone is not able to navigate their community by walking or moving, um, that that infringes upon that independence and that basic human right as we see it at America Walks. And so I think one of the opportunities that we've had over the past several years in working with ACB and other groups is looking at what that independence looks like for different people. Um, people of different ages, abilities, and backgrounds, whatever the case may be, and making sure that our efforts reflect um, and celebrate those differences. And I think with ACB, it looks like uh, shared advocacy uh, around issues that we uh, can collaborate on, whether it be um, you know, mobility devices uh, like scooters and um, the e-bikes on sidewalks um, being left all over the place as a, a hazard and a barrier. Um, or any other of, of issues, but also um, working with the team at ACB to help inform our network of advocates, planners, uh, decision makers, uh, to be more aware and more informed of issues that uh, might uh, be representative of the, the ACB community that they are not aware of or as knowledgeable. Um, for example, uh, at the meeting over the summer, um, I was having conversations with a variety of people um, repeatedly about leading pedestrian intervals. And at America Walks for a number of years, those sound great to us. Yes, let's get them going. Um, and the, the conversations quickly made it clear that we're not doing them right um, and that our advocates need to be talking about them differently and asking for them differently and judging them and assessing their use differently. Um, so that's just one example of how we were able to go back to our network and say, hey, let's rethink this a little bit. Um, so that we are creating communities uh, that, that are that safe and accessible um, that our mission is, is based on. Sure, and this is Eric again. Uh, it's a great question, Pat. Thank you for, for asking the panel. Um, when we think about accessibility, we start with the premise that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to solving, you know, quote-unquote, accessibility that it's important to recognize differences both between and within communities. So that's true with the blind and low vision community, people who are deaf or hard of hearing, who have ambulatory uh, issues or cognitive disorders. 
And we've really taken an approach of trying to learn from community partners, ACB chief among them, in terms of, on the one hand, understanding what are the core challenges inside of today's transportation ecosystem. Uh, we are fundamentally redesigning an option from the ground up in terms of reimagining the in-vehicle experience from calling a vehicle on your app to drop off to destination wayfinding. And what we found through a number of user experience research initiatives are different areas where we would really be able to, uh, through reimagining what that experience looks like, really create more accessibility at every stage in the process. So that's true with respect to making an accessible app, for instance. It's true even before that, right? If you're, our vehicle model is that of what we call level four technology, which is to say that it is completely autonomous, completely self-driving inside of a geospaced area, which means that you as passenger have no need to ever take control of the vehicle. In fact, there will be no steering wheel. If there's no steering wheel, it means you don't need a driver's license. And so immediately, you're cutting down on transportation barriers. And then you build on that, right? No more turning away service animals. The animals welcome inside the vehicle just like any one of our customers is. And then in terms of accessibility throughout kind of that, that supply chain, right? From calling a vehicle to wayfinding uh, to in-vehicle experience, communication inside the vehicle, how much is too much, how much is too little, where are you in real time with respect to your destination? And then once you get to the destination, right, what does the curb look like? How far are you from, from the destination? And really trying to figure out what that balance is um, in terms of working with ACB and other partners to really create a more accessible user experience from start to finish. Uh, it's something that we are incredibly committed to uh, and something that truly uh, is motivating to, to us on staff. Um, we fundamentally, I said this before, we fundamentally believe that the existing status quo of transportation is broken. Uh, every single day, 100 people die on the roads. That's 700 people a week. That is quite literally the equivalent of two 737s falling from the sky every single week. And somehow, as a society, we've just accepted it as the cost of living in a motorized community. That does not need to be true. Transportation is the single largest polluter by sector in the United States. That's bad for our environment. That's bad for our health. That does not need to be true. Transportation is today inaccessible to far too many people. That does not need to be true. And that is fundamentally what motivates us uh, as a company, as an industry, uh, and really in our partnership. Because we don't, we know enough to know that we don't know the answers to every question. And it's only through partnership that you really start to evaluate and you can really make choices that help you create a more accessible product at the beginning and then to iterate on that over time to make a continually more accessible product. Great, thank you, Eric. I, the, when you were talking about bringing service animals in cars, I had a, an image of my service animal calling up her own uh, <laughs> autonomous vehicle and going somewhere. So as long as we don't get to that point, we're good. Yeah. So what are we doing at ACB in the autonomous, uh, or excuse me, in the transportation world, AV being one of them? What are we doing in the transportation realm? Um, again, we continue to work on all kinds of things. Um, ACB is a member of what we call the, is the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, or CCD. It is an organization of almost 100 different disability advocacy groups. And I have been fortunate for the last year, and now will be again this year, one of the co-chairs for the Transportation Task Force. Um, so we're constantly working on all kinds of transportation-related issues. For instance, we were invited to sit on a bipartisan, bicameral committee to talk about new legislation surrounding AVs. Um, we are constantly responding to any notice of proposed rulemakings or other comments out there. So it's been a great uh, situation for us to be in where we can get input to all kinds of issues going on and have allies in the disability community. So if they hear of something that we haven't heard of first, we can immediately be brought into the fold and have our input put out there. So that's been a great, great um, tool for us at ACB to use in the transportation realm. 
Um, I think somebody mentioned earlier that I will now be a member of the Air Carriers Access Act Advisory Committee. We have our first, thank you. <laughs> Uh, we have our first meeting on March 10th and 11th. Um, like was said earlier today, it's open to the public. People, please come and attend if you're in the Washington area. Um, so that's going to be a great place for us to talk about access for persons who are blind to anything related to airlines. So, of course, one of the most commonly discussed issue is bringing our service animals on. Um, but other things, too, you know, entertainment in the planes. Um, even just one of the issues I brought up when they asked for issues that we experience is just getting customer service on and off the plane uh, is a big issue that I've personally experienced. Um, again, we continue to sit on an advocacy group that meets quarterly for Amtrak. I know we all laugh at Amtrak, but it has its, its, its difficulties, and we're going to continue to advocate for accessibility, for instance, with the website slash app to buy tickets. Um, and again, if you guys are having any other transportation-related issues, let us know. Um, with literally without transportation, we can't get from point A to point B, and there is no one major form of transportation. We all move around in different different ways depending on the region we live in. Um, and I always like to stress that no one form of transportation is more important in the blind community. If you need a walk, we're going to work on it. If you need to take the train, we're going to work on it. So we're not going to prioritize any one type of transportation. Thank you, Claire. A couple of things that stood out for me there. <clears throat> one, uh, in the Washington, D.C. Area, area, we are starting same-day service. Mm -hmm. One of our providers is Uber, and so it would be interesting to do the use Uber um, uh, portion of their uh, 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 product in Washington, D.C. The other thing, and I shouldn't say this because I'll probably get kicked out of a committee or two, <laughs> leading pedestrian, pedestrian intervals. I was wondering why all those sighted people were crossing the street three or four seconds before I was, was not aware that they had the light to do it. I just thought they could see real good. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and I've been doing this stuff for a long time. So, yeah, LPIs are important. It gives us three or four seconds more that can, that can uh, be a safety issue. In Montgomery County, since January, January, we've had four pedestrian deaths. Five. Correct me, yeah. You know, and things like floating bus stops and yeah. things like that, I, they all, it's a pedestrian and a bicycle transit issue. So, next question for the panel. We have, um, we, uh, there are areas that we're working on. Uh, there are areas that have challenges. What are the areas within your organization that you would like us to help with, that you have questions on, where we could step up to the plate and help you make a difference in what you're doing? Thank you for that question, Pat. This is Malcolm speaking. And I think it's so important because I think about so many of the areas where we have improved over the years. And we certainly have a great deal more in which we need to continue to push forward. But in the areas where we've made progress, so much of it has become the case as a result of engagement with organizations like ACB, but in reality, principally, an organization like ACB. I think about a recent feature we have introduced in, uh, in the context of safety. We've worked really hard to improve our messaging around safety over the last couple of years. But a lot of people, including folks in this room, came to us and said, a lot of your messaging is, for, is, is exclusively for sighted people. And so one of the things we recently introduced, in large part because of the feedback that we got from folks in this room, was an opportunity for you to optionally have a PIN number that you have to match with your driver before you get into the car to make sure that you're getting into the car with the right driver. Um, again, that's the kind of feedback that we get from folks like Claire and Clark and ACB. Uh, but we recognize that's just one form of communication that's taking place. I sit here in Washington, D.C. and have a lot of conversations with folks in the national office, but recognize that there are all of you out in your various states and cities around the country um, that could probably stand to benefit from similar conversations with a number of our local policy teams that are spread out around the country. And so um, as there are efforts that you would like to see, uh, areas that you would like us to try to improve upon, uh, I would really encourage you to connect with folks in the national office um, because I would love to help you all. I think we're the facilitators here in, Was in the Washington, D.C. area, but we would love to help 
connect you all with folks around the country who can help you with local issues. Um, we recognize that a lot of things are consistent across the various areas where you, you work and live, but we also recognize that there are some uh, city-specific or state-specific issues where we can be useful. Uh, so I would just really encourage you to continue to uh, give us your feedback, help us think about how we can inform our platform in a way that's going to make it more accessible. Um, and if we can con continue to keep those lines of dialogue open and going even further, start to facilitate those connections at the local level, um, I think you will continue to be huge um, contributors to the improved accessibility on our platform. Thank you. Um, I think for us it's helping inform our organization as well as those at the local and state level that we work with about what walkability and movability looks like for each of you, um, for the people you live and work with, for the people in your community, because we can't address what we don't know. Um, and having that representation at the meetings, um, you know, people raising their hands and speaking up for what we want our communities to look like takes takes all community members and so helping to inform our advocacy efforts um, across the board and then at the the federal and national level uh, tapping into the networks and coalitions that we represent um, you know it's been a, a struggle on our part to even get walking mentioned in the transportation conversation oftentimes uh, so I think um, coming together and making that voice even stronger is something that uh, we need to be doing together Hi, this is Eric again. Um, wonderful question. Thank you, Pat, for it. Um, I've referenced now a few times our user experience studies, and I, I don't want to give the impression that this is a one-and-done or a static experience. Uh, in fact, these are ongoing conversations that we have with ACB and with others around the community, and it, frankly, in a variety of communities, to understand where improvements can be made inside of transportation accessibility. At its core, where we started, was with, uh, with existing transportation options and actually went on ride-alongs uh, with individuals who are blind or have low vision and uh, engaged in a narration of the experience, right? Tell me what's happening at every stage. How are you problem solving? What barriers are being faced right now and what's being navigated? And then working collaboratively with our product design specialists in co-design sessions we're then able over the course of hours and multiple, uh, multiple iterations to really start building potential solutions that could help solve some of these issues. And so at a very high level, what we found was that when you're breaking down the, the rideshare system, uh, which is the, the space we intend to operate in, you can break it down to a few different high-level elements. Um, and I know Malcolm can speak about this uh, significantly better than I can. Um, but you're talking about calling the vehicle from your app, you're talking about finding the vehicle, the level of communication inside the vehicle, arriving at your destination, and then finding your destination, right? So at a very high level, there are five elements, each of which can be improved in some fashion in terms of making for a more accessible experience. And so that's really where we start all of our conversations. We assume zero knowledge, uh, and we look to you, to, to the community, to experts, to really help us understand the challenges and then to work with our teams to co-design solutions around that. And we think that's just a very powerful partnership when you're bringing together industry with community that ultimately does create a better product. Because what we found is that when you build with accessibility in mind at the beginning, everybody benefits. So obviously this question is shaped a little bit differently for me since I'm inside ACB. Um, but because of that, I'm just gonna kind of turn this question the other way and say, those of us in the national office wanna hear from you guys at the state and city level on what transportation issues need to be assessed. We live in kind of the DC bubble. We know what's going on in our region. And because of our relationships with great organizations like these at the table, we do have a lot of information about what's going on around going on around the country, but we don't have eyes and ears everywhere, so we want to hear from you guys on the different issues, and we even acknowledge that a lot of times the solutions to those issues are not a one and done, not a one size fits all, that sometimes the solutions are going to have to be um, 
geared and um, formulated based on the city or state that you live in. So we want to work with you guys. We want to brainstorm ideas to help you guys um, address issues in your own region. And again, we also want to hear from you guys about what's going on so that we can know what's going on. Be our eyes, be our ears, help us know what we need to, to work on. Thank you, Claire. A couple of things that stood out for me. One, when Heidi talked about uh, pedestrian issues and safety, getting involved. Uh, Charlie Crawford, uh, six months ago, got involved with an organization called Vision Zero, which worked on transportation pedestrian issues within our area here. Uh, guide dog user, blind person guide dog user, when he walked into the room, they had no idea what Charlie's issues were. Uh, he was able, because of his experience, to educate a whole room full of people. There's still more work to be done, but my point is one person does make a difference. You don't need to be an expert. You don't have to have 10 years or five years or a study or this or that, the other. It's just walking in the door with your experience and your attitude, advocacy, and go towards it, and you'll find answers. And of course, you've got a lot of us here that can help. Last question for the panel, because I really want to open it up to you guys. Um, going forward, and I think this is more of a future type of question, do you see, what do you see as the future designs and transportation going forward for blind people? That's a wide open question. I'd like to teleport myself, but, <laughs> but then a lot of people in here would like me to teleport myself too. <laughs> So this is Malcolm. I, 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 Pat, I concur. Teleportation is the dream, but uh, there's some steps that we need to, to, to cross before we get there. Um, listen, I won't spend too much time on this one, I think, in particular, because I think uh, uh, Cruz and, uh, and other organizations in the autonomous vehicle space are doing uh, really great work around this, but we also see a world where a meaningful part of the transportation pie will be made up of autonomous vehicles that are built accessible from the very ground up and have accessible features engaged in them in large part because of the feedback and input of organizations like ACB. And so as that technology matures, and there's a lot of maturity that needs to happen to that technology before it gets in the hands of real people, but as that process happens, I think there will be huge opportunities to make sure that it is informed by the experiences of people who are blind or visually impaired. There are also really interesting things like eVTOLs, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. As our, as our streets get more congested, for all of the reasons that folks on this panel have spoken about so eloquently, uh, there will be an opportunity to uh, push electrification into the sky. Um, again, that is technology that is not yet mature, but is an area where we are working, uh, where we think there's real opportunity, uh, of course, much, much further down the line. And then, of course, I think there, we should not um, dismiss the integral nature that a sort of more legacy transportation um, uh, efforts will continue to play. Certainly walking, and Heidi can speak to that, of course, um, but also transit. Uh, we believe that transit is still always going to be an integral part of the transportation ecosystem, and we want to help people better connect with transit in the place where they are. We want to help facilitate those transit rides even if it's through a, a different mechanism than they're used to. And so you will over time increasingly see transit integration in the Uber app. And in some cities, we're already starting to work with city agencies to allow you to actually purchase your ticket through the Uber app. We're doing that in Las Vegas and Denver to start and plan to expand it elsewhere later this year. So we think the transportation pie is going to be bigger over time. We think it is going to give more options to more people depending on what they're trying to optimize for. And we're hopeful that we can continue to play a meaningful role in making sure that all of those options are accessible as well. Thank you. Um, you know, walking and moving are the original forms of transportation. Um, we've gotten pretty good at it uh, over the past several thousands of years of evolution. Uh, but I also think it's the future. Uh, and I don't think that's just because that's what my work wants me to say. But I, I truly believe that unless maybe you can jump in the air and fly, which I didn't realize was coming down the pipeline. But until that <laughs> option gets to us, any trip is going to start and end with a walking trip, even if it's just a few steps out your front door. And if that piece of the trip is not safe, 
if that piece of the trip is not accessible, and if that piece of the trip is not enjoyable, then your community is failing you and your transportation system is failing you. And so if we don't get that piece right, we're not going to get the rest of it right either. Um, and so while it's not the, the end all of transportation systems, it is a critical piece of, of that transportation pie. I would, I would even just build on to that. Um, it, it is very much in keeping with, uh, with our mission statement at Cruise. We like to say that we're working to drive life in cities forward. And we really see self-driving as one piece of that larger ecosystem. And so what Heidi described and Malcolm as well are absolutely accurate, right? If you don't feel safe getting out of your front door to walk to wherever you need to go to take public transit or whatever mode you're taking, cycling, et cetera, um, then the city really has a responsibility to improve that. Uh, we fundamentally see a role in this world for self-driving. Uh, we think that the human-driven internal combustion single-occupant vehicle that has defined the 20th century has failed us uh, as a society. It had enormous good attached to it, um, and it has come to a point where we as a society have re reached an inflection point and are looking at what's next, what's coming over the horizon. Uh, Self-driving, all-electric, and shared, we really think can go a long way to improving road safety, to making the air cleaner, the environment more sustainable, the transportation system more accessible, and the streets less congested. And so we really see a very strong role for self-driving moving forward. Uh, we are very much still in the testing phase. That is absolutely accurate. Uh, we test our vehicles 24-7 uh, in San Francisco, in Arizona, uh, in Michigan, and uh, we are actively working towards being able to put forward a commercial service that we hope will start to address each of those core tenants uh, in terms of safety, accessibility, the environment, um, and really see it as one important piece of a larger transportation ecosystem. Um, I feel like I could talk about a million different things, and I think every individual in the room would would echo that in the blind community as far as what we think about with design in the future. But I wanted to um, highlight one area of design for the future that I think is really important for the blind community, and I think we would all agree is important, is designing transportation outside of the, if, or I should rather say, a designing transportation that accommodates people in all regions of the United States. I know a lot of us, uh, a lot of us who are blind or visually impaired often feel obligated to live in certain areas where public transportation is better because that's their only choice. I grew up in Southern California where everybody gets a car when they turn 16 and you have to drive everywhere. So I intentionally left because I just felt very stuck um, and I, I moved to a city with more public transportation. And if that's your choice, that's great. You have that choice, but that shouldn't be, you shouldn't be obligated to have to do that. You should be able to live wherever you want, whether it be a very small rural town or New York City. So finding different ways at, with the, you know, growing form of transportation, like Malkin's talked about um, and Eric's talked about with the, you know, invention of new uh, autonomous vehicles and technology and ride shares. Um, it should be able to serve people in more rural communities. I've heard groups talk about like first mile, last mile, AV services if you live more in the suburbs and you just need that extra mile to get you to uh, to the bus stop or the, the subway stop or what have you. Um, working on more infrastructure for safe streets and sidewalks. So if you live in the suburbs, a rural area, you can actually walk to and from somewhere and be safe and not be, you know, at a place where you just can't leave your home because there aren't safe sidewalks. So just really finding ways to accommodate and um, bring new technology and new infrastructure infrastructure and those kinds of things into the future so we're not it's not dictated where we live thank you very much um, I think I could take a couple of questions my favorite actually is ACB rockets <laughs> I want to fly now Rocky yes. Balboa let's go um, <laughs> th thank you very much cloud migration 101 um, do we have a couple questions quick yeah, we have like 100 up right like now. Like 100. There you go. I knew it. Hi, this is uh, Carrie Muth from Coos Bay, Oregon, one of those small communities. Thank you, Claire. I chose to return after living in Portland five years because, likewise, you drive or you're stuck. Um, lots of advances. So my question is primarily for the Uber representative. 
So in our community, um, our paratransit just stopped running before 8.30 a.m. You know how much that affects everybody trying to work, right? And not just those of us with visual impairments, all different disabilities, people trying to get to their dialysis appointments. Our taxi waits will be two plus hours. And I have had at least a dozen people tell me they are interested in driving for Uber, but Uber is not in my community. So how do we make that happen? So those are three, I think, three points that I'd like to briefly touch on. Um, the first is I totally hear you on the, the limiting of the paratransit service option, but it's something we're seeing increasingly more and more around various places uh, across the country. One of the things that we've actually been trying to do is we've now built a transit team that's looking to partner with paratransit organizations uh, whereby if they feel like they can't sufficiently fund those services, maybe they can partner with us and we can help um, help them at times when otherwise uh, paratransit services are challenging. So I think there's an opportunity connect, to connect there. Uh, you mentioned uh, healthcare appointments. That's a huge part of what we're thinking about going forward. We actually have a product called Uber Health that has disproportionately grown over the last year in rural areas where we recognize that folks getting to and from those non-emergency medical appointments um, is especially important. So I think there's lots of effort there. Uh, and then the last thing is, uh, and I'm not familiar with the specific regulatory um, environment in, in Oregon, but in a number of places we actually run into uh, a bit of a regulatory challenge around whether we're able to operate outside of specific cities or in areas um, that are more rural. In an optimal world, we would allow anyone who wanted to drive and went through the requisite background check process and had their car checked be able to turn on the app and start taking requests anywhere. Um, unfortunately, that's not always the case. Again, I'm not sure whether that's the case in, in Oregon specifically, um, but um, if we can sort of facilitate getting contact information, we'd love to connect you with some of our local folks to help you answer some of those questions. Another question. Hi, my name is Anthony. This is a problem right? primarily for Uber as well. Um, I, many things I could say, but I think the first thing that I'd like to say is that you guys keep asking us what we can do to help. What, how can we help you? And I think we, money, everybody in this room would say that we already are. A, we use the service, and we use the service, I think, at a much higher rate than a lot of other communities out there. But also, B, we take, we take our experiences and bring them to the platform, and sometimes when it doesn't work, bring it to the platform, we bring it to social media. And I think one of the biggest concerns right now that I'm curious about, which, by the way, you guys have partnered with New York City Paratransit. You're doing an amazing job there. But the backdoor discrimination to those of us with service animals, whether it be they leave us there and then don't cancel the ride, and so we're stuck for a long time, or paying the $5 cancellation fee. And secondly, that they don't tell you or try to tell you, and you have to fight with them about a cleaning fee for your animal when our animals are probably the cleanest and most well-behaved animals that they're ever going to encounter. So if you could just speak to that. Yeah, I appreciate that, those pieces of feedback, and um, you're certainly not the first person to tell us that. I don't think we're sort of asking you to, to give us feedback in ways that we don't recognize are valuable. I think our request would be to continue what you're doing because it's already made huge impact. I made some examples <coughs> earlier, but I think there are tons more that would speak to the degree to which you all have helped inform positive platform improvements. As I also mentioned before, I am, uh, I suppose, probably more cognizant than anyone else about how much more work we need to do. And um, I think there are some efforts underway, and I think it's a specific focus on hiring people to be explicitly engaged on these issues internally that will help facilitate some of those improvements. But the one last thing I would just say is, um, we, we do need to know about these things when they happen, and so please do continue to reach out to us. There's both the in-app in ways in which we can do that, but as I mentioned earlier, I think there's a real opportunity to start to facilitate better relationships with folks in the company and other parts of the uh, increasingly country and world. And so as we can be helpful in helping connect you with those folks at the local level, um, I think that can be really meaningful in starting to decrease some of the uh, the, the ways in which these issues are taking place. But I appreciate your feedback. Thank you. Two more questions. Hello, this is uh, Trampus Brown from North Dakota, and I'd like to thank all the panelists for being here. Uh, transportation is obviously a huge thing for everybody in this room. Uh, first off, um, addressing Amtrak. In North Dakota especially, we need Amtrak. It is not even a question. I can fly to Washington, D.C., cheaper than I can fly from Minot to Fargo. 
and that's 270 miles. So, and I can access Amtrak and I can go round trip from Minot to Fargo for $84. So we absolutely need to make sure Amtrak is still functioning and accessible, uh, especially in our flyover states. Um, back to uh, the Lyft and Uber. I, I currently use Lyft more because it came to our market first, uh, but I use it around 75 times a month. It's, it's a little expensive, but, uh, and this is actually addressing the rest of the room, I use my rides with Lyft to advocate every single ride. There's nobody that I ride with that doesn't know about service animals. There's nobody that doesn't understand the difference in visual disabilities. And I take every ride, and anybody that knows me, I'll talk to you all day long. So my Lyft rides probably tell me, why don't you just get out here? You're close enough. Thank you. And my last one, just to the, to the cruise uh, representative, if you want to test a vehicle in cold, freezing, 20 below North Dakota, <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll be your first to sign up. All right. Thank you so much. Last question. Kelly's got the last question. All right. Hello. This is Debbie. And um, first of all, I wanted to say that we got an email saying that that Uber call-in thing is also available in Florida. So I don't know if that was jumping the gun or if it's really true. And then before I relinquish the mic, I was curious to know if people have special needs, is there any way to put that in a profile? For example, I have a friend who uses Uber a lot, but she has very great difficulty getting in and out of SUVs. And she would like to request every time she goes a sedan. And finally, what I wanted to say is, some of us need to communicate in English or a language because, because and this, this has nothing to do with anything other than we can't point, we can't say turn left up there. And the, the other day I got a wonderful driver, Hispanic gentleman, and he tried so hard and he asked everybody he knew to, to point him where I needed to go. And so what I was just curious to know is, if we need to communicate in English or a, or a specific language, for example, for totally honorable reasons, or we need a certain sort of a vehicle, is there a way we could put that in a profile so that when we put a ride in the app, it would just know? Thank you. This is Malcolm speaking. I'll be very, very brief because I think maybe there's desire for there to be more conversation. Um, on the first question around you hearing about a pilot in, in Florida, so we are doing very, very, very small pilot efforts at, at sort of senior centers and specific locations in a couple of places around the country. But the only widespread one right now is Arizona. So you may have gotten wind of one of those very, very small ones, but those are very localized and for people who are living in very small communities. Um, on the question of broader communication, just to sort of uh, loop it all together, that's something that we're working on, uh, is being able to more explicitly communicate what your needs are prior to the trip happening, or automatically having that communication be sent to the driver so the driver knows when they arrive what they need to expect and how they can help. Um, so I would just say stay tuned, because that's definitely something that we're going to be working on very soon. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for the panel. They were great. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. You guys are wonderful, too. Thanks a lot.